tonight, please, and I want you to turn to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number two, Matthew chapter number two, and periodically throughout the month of December, we've been doing what we've entitled Lessons from the Nativity, and I want to go a little further with that tonight, if I could, and we've given you several lessons that the Lord has given us out of Matthew chapter number two, Matthew chapter one, and uh, one or two messages out of Luke chapter three, or Luke chapter two or three, and uh, but we're gonna we're gonna stay predominantly tonight in Matthew chapter number two. It's good to see you. Thank you for being here. It's good to see the Bushies back with us, and they've been gone for so long, you know. And uh, we're just glad to see them get their heart right. I tell you, just no, I'm picking. No, they've been on depu- on the deputation trail. <laughs> They're probably glad to be back too, for that matter. And uh, but no, it's good to good to see Justin and Kristen and the kids back tonight. And we sure love them, and we're proud of them and how the Lord is using them. And you continue to pray that God would bless them and help them and protect them on the roads and help Brother Justin as he preaches. And um, Matthew chapter two, when you find your place, why don't we stand one last time? I know you're tired, but one last time, give you a chance to get your blood stirring just a little bit. Um, We're gonna give you a lot tonight, but I I think we can do this in about 30 minutes or so. And so Matthew chapter 2, we're going to read the first 12 verses just to get you some good context tonight. Verse 1, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, And uh, search diligently for the young child. And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Now, we know the truth of that. Herod Herod did not want to worship the Lord. He wanted to kill the Lord. And we find that later on as we read the the chapter here. But verse number 9, when they had heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star, and Lord willing, Lord willing, Sunday morning, I'm going to be bringing a message on that star mentioned here in Matthew chapter number two. What kind of star was it? What, what, what was this star all about? We're gonna, Lord willing, uh, if God keeps directing, we may talk to you a little bit about that star on Sunday morning. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them. Wow, that's quite a star. Um, Till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house They saw the young child. It wasn't an infant any longer. It was now a child. Jesus was now a child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And you may be seated tonight. And I want to talk to you about lessons from the nativity. This is sort of part three of what we've been talking about. And uh, and and uh, I'm just going to give you a lot, a lot, of, a lot of stuff tonight. This is going to be a little bit more teachy, probably a little bit more like a lesson. But I hope it'll be a help to you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Father, thank you 
for being so good to us. And Lord, we appreciate the wonderful day of life that you've blessed us with. Thank you for breath. Lord, thank you that we've been able to have our being today. And Lord, being able to work, we've been able to function. Uh, we've been able to get dressed and, and come to the house of the Lord tonight. And Lord, this is a, a very sacred time for the people of God as we get ready to celebrate Christmas Day. And so, Father, I pray that you would use tonight to, Lord, to prepare our hearts. And I pray that because of this, that we would be a better witness, Lord, to our family members and those that we're going to be coming in contact with in the next few days. Lord, some of those evidently, Lord, some of those probably won't know the Lord. And, and uh, Lord, help us to be a witness of the goodness and the grace of the Lord. I pray you'd help us to do that. Uh, Lord, bless our discussion now. I pray that it would honor Christ. I pray that it would be interesting. And we pray for the help and the power of the Holy Spirit as we try to present it to your people this evening as you gave it to us in the study. We love you and praise you now. In Jesus' name we pray and for his sake, amen. Well, if you've been a part of this little series, we've talked about several things uh, that we've called lessons from the nativity. First of all, we talked about a picture of amazing grace uh, we talked about those that were noticed in the genealogy of Christ, people like Rahab, people like Tamar, um, and different ones were mentioned in the genealogy of Christ. Also, we noticed those that were notified first concerning the nativity. Um, we find that in the Gospel of Luke, that the Lord Jesus Christ did not necessarily notify the rich and the wealthy and the royal of his uh, coming birth, but he, he let those poor Humble shepherds. We saw that in the video on Sunday night. Those shepherds uh, were smelly. That's why the, the women wanted to get away from them there at the well. And they were sort of dirty and their faces were, were dirty. And um, that, that's probably pretty accurate. I mean, that's probably how shepherds were. They lived in the field. They stayed with the sheep. Uh, baths were probably few and far between. And yet that was the group that the Lord Jesus Christ, God, um, divulged that, that notice to first. And so we see a picture of amazing grace. Then we notice the perfection of Scripture, um, that uh, if, 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 the, if man would have written this, he would have messed it all up. And so we see Scripture perfected in the Christmas story. Then number three, we notice the prophecies of Scripture fulfilled. And uh, we, we just showed you a number of prophecies that the Christmas story uh, fulfills here in the word of God. But tonight, I wanna deal with what you see on the screen this evening. I wanna deal with the presentation of the gifts. And so look at Matthew 2, verse 11 specifically. The Bible says, and when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So our Bible tells us that there were wise men, and we're gonna talk about that in just a moment, but wise men that came bearing gifts, seeking the Christ child. So here's what I wanna do tonight in this message tonight. I wanna just basically deal with three questions. I wanna answer three questions for you tonight, and then we're gonna let you go. Number one, who were these wise men? Who were they? Who, who were these guys? Where, where did they come from? Why did they come? You know, what, what was this all about? And so I want to answer that question, who they were. Then how many were there? We say, preach, that's easy. There were three. Are you sure about that? And so we're going to talk about that a little bit tonight, how many were there? And then we're going to talk about what their gifts represented. And so let's just jump right into it tonight. Number one, who were these wise men? Think about it. Why, why did these wise men travel upwards of a year 
to find the Christ child. And so again, there's, there's a lot of beliefs, you know, that the shepherds got there first and then maybe an hour or so later, the wise men came to the stable and there the baby Jesus was lying in the manger. But that's not really accurate. Scripturally, that's not accurate. The, the shepherds came when Christ was in the manger, but the wise men came much later. They came when they were living in a house and, uh, and now the Christ child was, was, was more of a toddler. He was, he was, he was older. He was older now. Um, and, but what would convince these men to come? What was their motivation? That's what I want to know. What would convince these men to travel hundreds and hundreds of miles and to spend days and days and days to try to come where the Christ child was. Well, these wise men that we often talk about are referred to as the Magi. Um, it is, it's the Greek word magos or magos. Uh, actually, they were not kings at all. These men were, were associated with what we would call priests or diviners, diviners or magicians or even sorcerers. We would call them astrologers. That's what these men were. They were, uh, they were astrologers. Uh, they were men that studied the stars. And as they studied these celestial bodies and the movement of these celestial bodies, they tried to predict the future. And so in our vernacular, in our day and time, we would call them psychics or even fortune tellers. Now, just to let you know, and I know you know this already, but that practice it's still going on. It's still, ha still happening today uh, through what we would call astrology or horoscopes um, is what we would call that. Sometimes you'll hear people, and even sometimes even mistakenly, you'll hear Christian people talk about their uh, astrological sign. They'll say, well, I'm a Taurus, or I'm a Leo, or I'm Scorpio. Now, truth matter is, when you say that, and you may say it in ignorance, but when you say that, what you're actually doing is you're practicing astrology. And according to the word of God, that has no place in the life of the child of God. Somebody says, preacher, what is your sign? My sign's Jesus. Amen. Uh, I don't have an astrological sign. Uh, our Bible says in Psalm 37, 23, the steps of a good man are not ordered by a horoscope. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delighteth in his way. Listen, when things happen to me, good or bad, it's not because the stars have lined up. <laughs> it's because Jesus wanted it to happen. And so somebody says, you know, I was really sick with cancer, but you know, my horoscope told me I was gonna get better. And guess what? My cancer went away. Let me tell you something, friend. Your horoscope didn't have a thing to do with that. Not a thing to do with that. In fact, in fact, I thought this might be interesting to you. Actually, the practice of the Magi was actually condemned by the Lord. Now, you don't have to turn there because I want you to hang in there at Matthew chapter uh, two, but if you want to jot it down or you can go, whatever you want to do, but Isaiah 47, in Isaiah 47, we find here that the prophet Isaiah actually prophesied against this, this idea of, of being an astrologer or a magi. Isaiah 47, verse 13, the Bible says, thou art wearied in the multitude of thy counsels. Let now the astrologers, the stargazers, the monthly prognosticators stand up and save thee from these things that shall come upon thee. Behold, they, those astrologers, they shall be a stubble. The fire shall burn them. They shall not deliver themselves from the power of the flame. There shall not be a coal to warm at, nor fire to sit before it. Thus shall thy be unto thee, with whom thou hast labored, even thy merchants, 
from thy youth, they shall wonder. Talking about those astrologers. They shall wonder, everyone to his quarter, none shall save thee. In other words, these psychics are not gonna help you. It is not for the child of God. The child of God has no business calling the psychic hotline. Well, I've got something going on. Okay, let me tell you a line to call. That's the royal hotline. That's the one you ought to call is, is, is get down to the pea patch or the prayer trail or find your way the, to the prayer closet or get in your car and go drive without going anywhere and just pray and, and cry out to God. Jeremiah 33, uh, 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things. And, uh, and so again, the idea is this, that, that really what the Magi was all about has no place in the life of the child of God. But that also teaches us another Great lesson. <laughs> what it really does, it shows us the incredible display of God's grace. Now, what do you mean, preacher? These men were magi. They were astrologers. They were, they, they were magicians. And yet, what we find here in Matthew chapter 2 is that God was willing to save these Gentiles. Now, I mean, you know, sometimes you have to sort of you have to read scripture and then you have to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart through that scripture. And really what we find here is this. We find some men who, who for many, many years lived a forbidden past, magi, magicians, and yet God was willing to draw these men to his son. What, what is that? It's a picture of grace. Truth matter is none of us deserve to come. None of us deserve to be saved. All of us have some type of a background. All of us have some type of skeletons in the closet. Uh, we're never going to get to heaven. And when you say, man, how'd you get it? Well, I deserve to be here. No, you did not either. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. And yet, and yet God in his amazing grace reaches down when we could not reach up, reaches down when I could not go to God. Thank God God came to me, which is what we celebrate on Christmas Day. And so the Lord Jesus Christ displayed his grace and he saved these wise men. I like what the Holman Study Bible said. We sell that in our bookstore here, but I love their little note there. And it said this, as an adult, Jesus cast out demons and broke Satan's grip on beleaguered people. But here we see that even in his infancy, Christ plundered Satan's kingdom and set captives free. Hallelujah. Jesus is in the manger and he's saving people already. And so we see an incredible display of God's grace. But hang on, Calvary. That's not the only lesson we learned there. This shows us the influential power of a witness. Now, boy, don't lose me on this because this is so good. Somebody says, preacher, why would these astrologers, these magicians, why would they be concerned with a baby in Bethlehem anyway? Some of these men came as far away as Babylon. Some believe Ethiopia. I mean, they may have traveled hundreds, maybe even thousands of miles to come be where Jesus is. And somebody says, Pastor, and, and by the way, you talk about some tough travel. That was tough travel. 
I'm not talking about major highways or interstates. I'm talking about mountains and deserts and passes and robbers and thieves. And, uh, and I'm talking about these men hazarded their very lives to come to where the Lord Jesus Christ was. And I'll tell you something else. They were scientists, but they did not come out of curiosity. And I, I want to remind you of this as well. This was not a research project. Somebody says, well, they were, you know, inquiring minds want to know. And they had inquiring minds. That's not the reason they came. That is not the reason they came. It's not because they had been studying, you know. It's not because they were researching. Did you know the Bible clearly tells us these men came for one reason? To worship. That's what it says. Look in your Bible. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2 saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Look at verse 11. And when they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. This was personal. This was not a research project. This was not something that scientists were doing. This was not a scientific exploration. No, these men, listen now, church man, don't miss this, church. These men came all these hundreds and hundreds of miles for one purpose, and that was to worship the Christ child. But somebody says, but preacher, why? Oh, this is the neat part. This is the neat part. Did you know it's believed that a prophet by the name of Daniel was carried to Babylon as a slave 500 years before we ever heard about Bethlehem. 500 years before we ever heard about a manger, Daniel, probably his parents were killed, and Daniel was taken to Babylon, and he was made a slave, but because of his wisdom and his integrity, he was assigned responsibilities with the Magi. And this is what historians believe, that at some point, man, you say, preacher, calm down. I just can't. I mean, I just, I, sometimes I just get the can't help it. Saying, at some point, Daniel, who was a Magi in Babylon, Daniel began to influence the Magi to begin studying Bible prophecy rather than magic and astrology. And so these magicians who had all these years been studying the stars and the celestial bodies and trying to predict the future and, and uh, uh, involved in the horoscope and all that kind of thing, all of a sudden here comes this, this righteous man, Daniel, and Daniel begins to witness to these people and he begins to encourage them to get into the law, to get into the scriptures and start studying the scriptures. And you know what happened? I, I believe this. I believe it literally changed their life. It changed their direction. And 500 years later, the star appeared. And, and these men came to worship the Christ child. Now, big deal, pretty big deal. You know what that tells me? It tells me that an invitation has amazing power. One invitation. Here's one lowly slave boy taken from Israel, and yet he was a believer. He was a righteous man. And he encouraged these men to follow God. He encouraged these men to study the scriptures. Boy, I wonder what would happen if we would invite one person to come and, and somebody says, well, preacher, they might say no. They might say no, but they might say yes. And, and by the way, I, I just, I thought about this as well. There's some of you that invited some people to come back in March and their lives were changed because they came to an unplanned revival. 
And so who were these wise men? They were, they were astrologers, but I believe that these men came as believers and I believe their life had been changed. How many? Number two, how many were these wise men? John Hopkins in 1857 wrote, we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. So tradition tells us there were three. We three kings. There were three kings. And one of the reasons that people say that is because they base it on the gifts that were given, the gold and the frankincense and the myrrh. But to be quite honest with you, that's just absolute speculation is all that is. If you study this out, you'll find out that there is a very high likelihood that there were more than just three wise men who came that day. In fact, in Eastern Christianity, the Magi often traveled in numbers of 12. Often in numbers of 12. Now, hold your place in Matthew 2 because we're going right back there in just a moment. Man, we got a good night. Where's the time go? And, uh, but I want you to turn back with me to Isaiah chapter 16. And, and everywhere I went, every time I studied this out, I kept going back to Isaiah 60. And, uh, and different writers and different scholars begin to take me back to Isaiah chapter number 60. And I'm not going to stand up here tonight and tell you beyond a shadow of a doubt that Isaiah chapter 60 is prophetic of the nativity story. But I would tell you this, that if it is, then there is a very, very high likelihood that there were more than just three wise men who came to worship the Savior. Look at Isaiah chapter 16, verse number three. It de definitely sounds like the Christmas story. Isaiah 60, verse three. The Bible says, and the Gentiles shall come to thy light and kings to the brightness of thy rising. Now, some say this is talking about Solomon and we won't debate, debate that. And, uh, but I want you to look at verse number six, Isaiah 60, verse, verse number six. The Bible also says about this story, the multitude, the multitude of camels shall cover thee, the dromedaries of Midian, Ephah, and they, all they from Sheba shall come, they shall bring gold and incense, and they shall show forth the praises of the Lord. And so, you say, preacher, how many do you believe? How many wise men? Well, number one, it really doesn't matter. But I would say this. Personally, me, I believe there were more than just three. I believe there were, there. I, I don't know that there was a multitude, but I believe there were probably more than three. I, uh, there was probably at least 12, but there was a, a, a large crowd that came. Now, number three, last of all today, what was the significance of the gifts? The gifts that they brought. What was the significance of the gifts? And we'll just put a, a few things up here on the screen very quickly and we're gonna go. Number one, these gifts pointed to the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. When these men came and they presented gifts, now follow, the, follow me here. You, you know what they were saying when they presented these gifts? They were saying that this was not just a baby lying in a manger. This was not just any birth. What they were saying when they presented these gifts, and we'll get into these gifts in just a moment, and it's pretty significant. What they were saying by these gifts is this, that this truly is the king of kings. This is not just a baby. This is Messiah, is what they were saying. By the way, that's why they found out and worshiped him, because they understood this. This is not just a king. This is the king. This is the king of kings. Listen, did you know that in Bible days, in Bible days, if you were invited to come into the presence of royalty, cultural protocol demanded you bring a gift? So in other words, let's break that down. If you were going to come into the presence of the king, 
You know what you did? You made sure you had a gift before you came. By the way, I looked this up. That's still protocol to this day. <laughs> they still practice that very thing to this day. How many remember over in 1 Kings chapter 10 when the queen of Sheba came to visit Solomon? Y'all remember that? Let me read that verse for you. 1 Kings 10 verse 2, the Bible says, and she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And so she knows she's coming before King Solomon. And so because of that, she brings all these gifts to, to present to the king. And yet these wise men, when they came, they knew they weren't coming just to the king. They knew they were coming to the king of kings. And so these gifts pointed to his kingship. They pointed to his royalty. And by the way, this is interesting as well. I'm just giving you a lot of, a lot of tidbits here, but every one of those gifts represented something different. For instance, the gold was given as a token of his royalty. Gold. When they presented that gold, it was a, it was a, a, a picture. He's the king. He's royal. The frankincense was given as a token of his divine sacrifice. Now, where's the tie in there? Frankincense was, was like a perfume and frankincense was often used in the sacrificial offering. Now, how so? And I, when I first read this, I thought, how is that? Well, think about it. Old Testament times, when they would sacrifice a lamb or sacrifice a cow, and they would lay that animal on the altar, when that animal began to roast, well, it produced, a, it produced quite the aroma. It, it, have you ever done this? Have you ever been in your backyard and you're like, oh man, somebody's cooking out. Wow, that smells good. Well, that's what sometimes I thought, that's what the sacrifice would smell like because those lambs were roasting and the cattle were roasting on the, uh, on the altar. And yet when they would bring these other uh, offerings like grain, the grain, when they would burn the grain, the grain didn't have that same aroma. And so they would take the grain and they would mix frankincense with the grain. And as they would, as they would sacrifice the grain, the frankincense would offer up a sweet savor. And this was saying that Jesus was the divine sacrificial offering. And then myrrh. Myrrh was given as a token of his sufferings. Myrrh was often used in burials and, and with those folks that passed away. And so this was a token of the coming death of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm gonna just say this real quick and go to this next point, but church, I just won't let, let everybody in. You, you know this already, but I'm telling you, there's coming a day, he's gonna be king. He's gonna be king. Now, he's, he's not the king to this world right now, but he's going to be. There's coming a day when the Bible says that every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess. And I thought about that scripture, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 16. The Bible says, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. There is coming a day when he will rule and he will reign and he will be prophet, priest, and king. And so these gifts pointed to the divinity of Christ. But number two, I, I absolutely love this point. So please hang in there with me. What are these gifts? What, what do they represent? Number two, these gifts miraculously provided for Joseph and Mary. I'm talking about these gifts that the wise men brought. And we don't know there were three. I believe there were more than three. So I believe there were more than just a few gifts. I believe there were quite a few. 
Now, we taught this in Sunday school, Sunday morning, but we believe, according to the word of God, Mary and Joseph were very common and even poor. Because the Bible, the Bible specified in the law that when somebody gave birth, that you were to bring a sacrifice and you were to bring a lamb. And if you could not afford a lamb, that you were, you were given permission to bring two turtle doves or two young pigeons. Our Bible says that the sacrifice that Mary and Joseph offered for the Lord Jesus Christ was in fact those two turtle doves because probably they did not have enough money to purchase a lamb. So they were very common people, but oh church, I wanna tell you something. When you decide to put Christ first in your life, God is not only able to meet your needs, but he is able to make all grace abound toward you. Now, I'm giving you a lot of scripture tonight, but listen to, no, you need to turn over there. You need to see this. Second Corinthians chapter six in your Bibles. Second Corinthians chapter, I'm sorry, second Corinthians nine. Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse number six. And look what our Bible says here about what the Lord is able to do. Second Corinthians chapter number nine, in verse number six, here Joseph and Mary are, man, they're just common people, they're poor people, and yet they have yielded themselves to the will of the Lord. It has given them a certain, uh, a certain stigma, uh, maybe even some scandal. They probably had some people that turned their back on them, and yet Mary and Joseph were yielded to the will of the Lord. And because of that, we find that God begins to bless these two young people. Look what God's able to do in 2 Corinthians 9 and verse six. But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a what? A cheerful giver. But look at verse eight. And God is what? And God, say that church, and God is what? And God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Now, pastor, what's your point? My point is that Joseph and Mary didn't have two nickels to rub together and yet the angel Lord came and told them what he was about to do and, and Joseph and Mary both yielded themselves to the will of God and I'm sure they didn't understand it. They didn't understand all was going on but they said, Lord, we'll do this thing if this is what you want. We yield to your will. Use us however you want to use us and my dear friend, when they yielded to the will of God, I'm going to tell you what happened. God made all grace abound toward this little common couple. What do you mean, preacher? Listen to this. Listen to what several scholars say about, this, about these gifts. One person said it like this. These gifts which the three men carried were truly fit for a king. Equivalent to today's prices, a pound of frankincense was worth $500 a pound back in that day. The value of a pound of gold was valued at $600. And a pound of myrrh was valued at $4,000. One scholar said it like this, it's absurd to think that wealthy sages would travel all across the desert for weeks, if not months or years, to bring trinket boxes called treasures. A small chest of pure gold, approximately a half cubic feet or less than eight inches square, would weigh over 50 pounds. Would be an appropriate gift for a king. Hang on tight, Calvary. Today's market value for gold is about 1,200 troy ounce 
And with 12 troy ounces per troy pound, a 50 pound treasure box of gold would equal almost three quarters of a million dollars. Needless to say, frankincense and myrrh were even more valuable than gold. Although we don't know how much the Magi gave, if we estimate that their gifts were of comparable value, then the combined gifts would be worth two to three million dollars. And you say, preacher, I don't believe that. Okay. And somebody says, Pastor, do you believe that? I do believe, I do believe that. Think about, think about this. It's believed that Joseph, the stepfather of Christ, is believed that Joseph died sometime after the 12th birthday of the Lord Jesus Christ. How in the world is Mary gonna take care of six children, not including Jesus? In that day and time, if you were a widow, and on top of that, you had a number of children, and she did. How in the world is Mary gonna provide for all of those? And it's believed that, that those gifts that came in from those wise men were able to provide for the family of Jesus even after Joseph's death. I'll tell you something else. Jesus was the firstborn son. Okay, yeah, you're right. He was not Joseph's biological son, but he was still considered the firstborn son of their family. And when the dad passed away, it became the responsibility of the firstborn son to make sure that the family was cared for. And so we believe this, that it's at least possible that Christ used these gifts, this money, to provide for his mom and his siblings something else. Have you ever noticed that in Jesus' earthly ministry, he never asked for donations? He never did. They never had to take up an offering to pay for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's at least possible. I'm not saying this case, but I'm saying it's at least possible that this money provided by these wise men were used for the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. There's something else. We know that Judas was a thief. The Bible tells us that. John chapter 12, verse number six, very clearly tells us that Judas was a thief and he had the bag. He had the treasury bag. If there were just a few pittance in that treasury bag and he was stealing from it, don't you think it would have been very noticeable? But if that bag had quite a bit of money in it, that means that he, that means that he, could, just, uh, uh, he, he could just embezzle a little bit at a time. Now, wait a minute. Pastor, what's your point? This is my point. If you'll just sell out to the Lord, he'll take care of you. Just yield yourself to him. I've heard people say this. Well, preacher, if I tithed, I'd starve. You're going to shortchange my God like that? You understand if we just decide, Lord, I don't understand how this works, but, but you said to do it in your word, and, and I'm just going to, Lord, I'm just going to submit. I'm going to yield. Did you know our Bible says in Malachi chapter number three, the Lord said this, bring you all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in mine house and prove me, God said, prove me now here with saith the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. 
Now, I'm not preaching on an offering tonight. And God's been so good to this church. It's just absolutely miraculous. It's not only amazing, it's miraculous. But I, and I think we've got a lot of folks like this, but I know there's a lot of times on Sunday morning when offerings getting ready to take place, I can't wait till the ushers get up here. I don't have to give. Thank God I get to give. It's a privilege and an honor. And I don't have to worry about that. You know why? Because I know as long as I'm faithful to him, he's faithful to me. And that's one of the lessons that we learn here. These gifts pointed to the divinity of Christ. Divinity of Christ. These gifts miraculously provided for Joseph and Mary. We're done. We're done tonight. How about this? Number, number three, these gifts pictured a future event that's going to take place in heaven. And I want to show you that before we go. Take your Bibles and turn over to Revelation 4 and verse number 9. Somebody says, Pastor, what is this about? These men have come from a long ways away. <laughs> They've been summoned by a star. And they come from a long ways away. They've come from a long, hard journey. And friend, one of these days we're going to be summoned by the Lord himself. The Bible says the trumpet of God's going to sound. And maybe it's been a long, hard journey. But one of these days, we're going to see the Lord. If we're born again, we're going to see the Lord. We're going to be in heaven. And look what's going to happen. In Revelation 4, verse 9, the Bible says, And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders, now that's you and me, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne saying, thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Brother, I'm here to tell you that what you read about in Matthew chapter two is a picture of a future event that's gonna happen. Just as sure as we're here, it's gonna happen. In one of these days in glory, when we finally see him and we finally behold his glory, man, we're going to be thankful we were faithful. We're going to be thankful that we served. We're going to be thankful that we've got a couple few rewards. You know why? Because we're going to take those rewards and we're going to say, Lord, I'm not worthy of these things. But you are. And we'll fall down before the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and we'll present our gifts to him. Wow, wow, what a book. Let's bow our heads tonight. Father, thank you for what we've learned tonight. Lord, thank you for these wise men. And Lord, all the many lessons that we, we glean from this story. Father, I'm glad that if we'll just yield ourselves to you, you'll take care of us. Lord, you'll meet our needs. Father, if we'll just decide to serve the Lord, live for God, Lord, you'll take care of us, just like you did Joseph and Mary, just like you did the family of Jesus. And Lord, Joseph and Mary had no idea, they had no idea these wise men were coming. They had no idea they were coming from so far away. And yet, Lord, when Joseph and Mary didn't know quite what they were going to do, you were already putting together a plan that was going to meet every need. Wow. What a God. Father, I pray that during this Christmas season, 
that we worship. Heavenly Father, help us not to get so caught up in the commercialism of Christmas and Christmas trees and Christmas presents and all the other things that go along this time, shopping and eating. Nothing wrong necessarily with those things, but Lord, help us not to get so caught up in these things that we forget to worship. Lord, Jesus is the reason for the season. And God, help us to take that opportunity during this few days to worship the King. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed tonight. Right before we go, can I ask a question? How many are here tonight would say, preacher, if I died tonight, I know beyond a shadow of any doubt, I know that I've been born again and I know that I am saved and going to heaven when I die. If that's you, without anybody looking around, you just slip your hand up as a testimony to that salvation. Praise the Lord. You can lower your hands. Let me ask you this though. How many are here tonight on this uh, December the 21st, 2022? And you'd say, Pastor, I couldn't raise my hand. I'm not sure about heaven. I'm not sure of heaven. And I want you to pray for me. Is there one anywhere here tonight and you'd be honest and right now you'd just slip your hand up and you'd say, Pastor, I'm not sure of heaven, but I want to go. I'm just not sure I would go. I want you to pray for me. Is there one anywhere tonight you'd let me pray for you? I see that. I see that little hand. I see that young hand. Is there another anywhere? Pastor, if I died, I'm not sure I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me? Anybody else like that tonight? Right? Let's, why don't we stand all around the house this evening? Our heads are bowed. Listen, if God spoke to your heart about something tonight, any, anything at all, and you need to slip out down to this old-fashioned altar, I'm going to encourage you to do that right now. Just come. If you're here tonight and you say, Pastor, I need to be saved. I need to be saved. I want you to come. And we'll have somebody meet you here with a Bible and they'll show you from the Word of God how you can know that you know that you're going to go to heaven when you die, okay? And so if God is dealing with your heart right now, I want you to come. I want you to come. Maybe you're here tonight and you just need to come and say, Lord, help me to be a better worshiper. Lord, help me not to get so caught up in all the other things that surround Christmas that I miss getting the opportunity to worship you. So just for a moment, we're gonna pause, all right? Just for a moment. And if you need to come, the altars are open. If I see you coming, we'll meet you here. You come while we wait.